or addressing a lot of intersecting issues that come up in education that have to do with race and gender and the way that our education system has been built up and created certain disparities. Hi, I'm Peter Marks. Welcome to Rhythm Nation, a podcast that explores the intersection of activism and music. My hope is that with each episode, you'll come away with a greater appreciation for the political context of music and be inspired to make activism a larger part of your life. This podcast is currently supporting an organizing program for the music community in my home state of Oregon around important local ballot measures. One of those measures is Universal Preschool for All, a program that will provide free preschool to all three and four-year-olds in Multnomah County. With me today, I've got Sahar Muranovic, who's one of the brains behind this bill, who is here to talk to me about why it's important. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. Thank you. So one of the things that really jumped out to me as I was looking at this, this bill is just how unaffordable preschool has become in the state of Oregon. I don't have kids myself. I don't, I don't know this firsthand, but I was, it really jumped out at me just how expensive it is here. Yeah, absolutely. I myself also don't have children. And I believe Oregon is the fourth most expensive state when it comes to childcare, unfortunately, while um, our state as well as our county has seen a lot of economic boom. Unfortunately, wages have remained stagnant and um, really important services that our families need tend to be unaffordable. And so just to give some context, we have uh, folks that are you know, working full-time jobs and preschool um, costs somewhere around 1500 or more per month. For a lot of folks, that may be as much as their rent and maybe more or their mortgage. And a lot of times they'll have to make the decision of um, either not going back to work because it just costs too much and they would not be making that up in working. Um or to, yeah, have to make certain decisions and sacrifices. Got it, got it. And meanwhile, early education is underpaid and under, undervalued. A lot of the jobs in the education industry and organized, I understand, are very underpaid. Can you tell me a little bit about that and, and some of the, those problems that we're seeing right now in our community? Absolutely. A huge issue with all of this as well, even for um, you know those that may not have children, including myself, is that Absolutely. Our educators, those that work in childcare, those that work with our children, even though this is such an extremely important uh, job to be raising the next generation of human beings, are tend to not be paid living wages. Um, we have talked with many, many folks that are preschool teachers, childcare workers, and they are making minimum wage. They are making $13 an hour. We have folks that are in uh, childcare that are working at these preschool um, places that are not able to send their own children to these places because it's unaffordable for them. And not to mention that as it comes with uh, things such as childcare, such as tending to our community and children, it tends to be seen as more of a femme maternal uh, service. And so we have a lot of women and femmes, especially women and femmes of color that are making 
poverty jobs while also being tasked with uh, raising and teaching, you know, a dozen or two dozen children at a time. And so another big aspect of this preschool for all campaign, other than providing the universal preschool aspect for the children and for those families, is that we want to make sure that those working are being paid a living wage. Um, and are able to organize as well. We see huge turnovers in childcare and preschool work. And when we're thinking about the child development, it also very much sucks for them because you have a lot of young, dedicated, passionate folks that go into this work and are just not able to live while doing this work that's extremely important. And so you see a lot of turnover or folks having to work multiple jobs and not being able to um, really just focus on this. Got it. So I understand that universal preschool solves both these problems in, in some ways. It, it's, it provides a, a free program for those who need it the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I believe that's how it, it starts off anyway, is that it, it rolls out to the, those who need it the most first. Is that correct? Yes. So the it, it will be universal. Uh, we want to make sure that every three and four year old um, is part of this program. In order to make it possible, we do we will be starting first with areas um, where ha- that have the least access, and we'll slowly be able to build up to fully have everybody covered. Um, hopefully, with um, in that. Uh, seven year, I'm sorry, six year period. And so, yes, uh, because it's also actually very important when it comes to child development and research has shows that it's um, really great for development for children that are from different backgrounds, different economic status, um, all being in the same room together, learning together. When we do start separating and creating specific programs for those that may need it more, we actually uh, further the disparities that are there. So we really want to make sure that it is for everybody um, while also, obviously, yes, we will be focusing on areas that this is needed most uh, in Portland based off of, uh, you know, just the numbers. Well, I really appreciate the, the approach of making this inclusive. It's it's for everybody. Like your, your position is in some ways is like just public school starts two years earlier, which, uh, these are like the most impactful years of, of education, as I understand, for mm-hmm. for for kids growing up. So, like, they if we're ever going to have have uh, public education, it might as well be those too. But, but you're rolling it out in a way that is going to immediately benefit the communities who need it most and alleviate some of those disparities, like you talked about. Um, so, I'm I'm really excited about the, the how the policy is structured in, in that in that manner. Absolutely agree. I'm very happy about that as well, because it's very important. And another part of it that I also uh, think is important for folks to know is that it's also, there's a range of options. Uh, It's not just during the school year, there are options for um, throughout the year, because, you know, for folks that are working, we know we don't get those three months of summer off. So parents also need that time in the summer, or some do. Uh, family members need that time. And so, you know, you can have it uh, just school year 
based or for the entire year. There are options to be more culturally specific and responsive. And there's also a, a prohibition on suspensions and expulsions, really wanting to make sure that we're addressing a lot of uh, intersecting issues that come up in education that have to do with race and gender and the way that our education system has been built up and created certain disparities. You know, I wasn't aware of the, the bit around addressing suspensions and expulsions of, of preschool students, but yeah, in my family, I've, I'm familiar with that that, that's, that happens, and I, I, it really puts the, the kids in a, in a tough spot. I mean, they're already being put on a track at, at age three and four. Um, that's, that's a really, really intense thing to think about, that like your, your child's behavior at that age could like determine other, other outcomes in their life. It's, it's really... Absolutely. Yes, I am also um, engaged with our local school district here. I'm on a school board. And so we really look at this as well. And I mean, whether we like it or not, the numbers constantly show that even when it comes to suspensions and expulsions for as young as four-year-olds, I mean, I don't even see any reason why a four-year-old should ever be suspended or expelled. But given that this is the case, in these cases, a a disproportionate number of them are black and brown children. And so it just really exasperates things. We're really starting this school-to-prison pipeline very, very early on. And it's tragic. And it's really uh, not all right. And I'm really glad that with our coalition of folks here, we really made it a priority to make sure that we are addressing these um, inequities in our system that are very much uh, race-based. So a lot of listeners to this podcast are from the Portland music community, a lot of the young people who might not be thinking about having kids in the near future or, or ever. Mm-hmm. Why should they care about this legislation, even even aside from the, the disparities they, they create? Like, what are, what are other reasons why they should care about this? Uh, I myself, as I mentioned, don't have children, and I don't planning a, uh, plan on having children. And I am very passionate about this, and I'm going to tell you why. Uh, I mean, there's a whole lot of reasons. Uh, I have friends that work in childcare that are preschool teachers. We all most likely no folks that are struggling economically. And so this is a really important issue for us to be addressing when it comes to our educators, because like I mentioned, they're raising the next generation of human beings. Whether I have children or not, it very much affects society as a whole, how we are supporting, what resources we're providing for children and their families out there. Another important thing is that a lot of this work came out of a campaign to tax the rich. As I mentioned um, earlier, Multnomah County in the last few years has seen a huge economic boom, but I'm sure many of your listeners may agree that they may have not noticed that boom. (laughs) It has been very disparate. And so, you know, those um, differences between the rich and poor keep growing as we see across the country as well. And so there was a tax the rich campaign and a lot of the funding mechanism came from looking at ways that we can even the playing field. So this measure will be uh, funded through a tier tax system on um, the those making uh, the top 5% of income earners in the county. This is an extremely important measure in that we had 
33,000 folks during a pandemic, during a civil rights uprising, signing on to make sure that this appears on our ballots. And also that given this momentum, 33,000 plus folks interested, as well as over 30 coalition members and organizations part of this, what can we do next? You know, we are seeing that it's very important to be evening the playing field. If we are seeing that economic boom, we have to make sure that all folks are being able to enjoy the benefits of that and that we are face, you know, addressing the economic inequities that are in place. So there, this could be just a really great start for folks that are younger to continue being engaged, you know, being um, keeping up with the Up Now 2020 campaign online, as well as the Preschool for All campaign um, of just seeing what we could do when we bring all these community members together, all of these organizations, and also look at things through an intersectional lens, where we're not only just looking at what will benefit the kids, we're also looking at living wages, so labor. We're also looking at making sure they're able to organize. We want to make sure we're respecting cultures, we're respecting various family dynamics, and all these things. So it has a lot of short and long-term benefits for society as a whole, and as a childless person, I'm very excited. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Well, I, I share your excitement, and I I share your motivation too. I think that looking at this through an intersectional lens, how how many of the injustice in our society that this confronts all in one package is really appealing. That that said, for for some who might look at the at this through a more financial lens, one one thing I think is really interesting about this policy is this claim that. For every one dollar invested in universal preschool, it generates almost ten dollars for our community. Um, can, can you maybe talk about how that works? What, what went into that analysis? Uh, sure, I can't go into the details of how that math was on, but I do know it's taking into consideration. You know, uh, looking over time at places that do implement things like a, uh, like universal preschool. And the great thing is we do have examples in other cities that have started this program. We see increased graduation rates, higher wages for those kids once they become adults, once they then uh, start their own families, uh, go on with their own life. And we also are seeing, you know, uh, increased, we do increase skill uh, cap- uh, building and capacity building for educators as well. So we're really moving everybody forward, um, both the workers as as well as the children. And it, in the long term, you start to see those benefits when it comes to lower uh, suspension, expulsion rates, increased graduation rates. Uh, you know, when we get increased graduation rates, work in the future, is better, better paying, et cetera, et cetera. And so it has really shown that, yes, um, when we do invest uh, in a truly universal program, we can actually get uh, a payback that's that big. That's my understanding of investing in early childhood education as well, is that because this is the most essential time in a child's development for being to be in school, if if you guarantee and make it accessible for all all students, the outcomes of that just cascade up upwards in a child's educational career, and 
you know, they, they reach all those mm-hmm. milestones easier. You also mentioned a few cities already have this and we have a model to look to. Can you maybe talk about some of the existing universal preschool programs and what we can learn from them? Yeah. Um, Washington, D.C., New York, and Boston are some of the far larger places, actually, and uh, bigger cities that have now um, implemented them. And we do have some uh, great that kind of feedback from those programs, especially like from DC and seeing that, first of all, it is possible. Uh, the resources funding mechanism is there. We just have to make it happen. And also they are seeing um, those benefits. That has, the program hasn't been in place for that long, though they are seeing the benefit of it have, being in place for every single child. And like I mentioned, those shorter and midterm effects, uh, less expulsion, suspensions, doing better in school, uh, higher graduation rates. So what would you say to someone who is supportive of the idea of universal preschool that um, understands that it addresses inequities and improves student outcomes and likes the idea of it creating a lot of good jobs, but is maybe a little bit unsure about whether doing this at the county level makes sense. What would you, what do you say to them? You know, I do appreciate that uh, our form of government here can be challenging at times. Um, There are a lot of moving parts. We have the city, we have Metro, we have the county, we have our commissioners. So I do appreciate that there are definitely questions in regards to that. Um, With in this regard, we also had one of our county commissioners, uh, Jessica Vega Peterson, that was also really spearheading um, the preschool for all uh, program on her end through the county, um, starting a few years ago, starting to do this research and looking into it. And um, our county commissioners are then able to uh, vote to have um, a measure uh, be presented. At the same time, um, we had the Universal Preschool Now campaign that initially started separately, had started looking into this and just looking at our form of government and the way decisions are made and how to get things on a ballot. Um, We decided to go in the way of looking into the ballot measure and with Commissioner uh, Jessica Vega Perterson working on this, um, both teams came together and now we also have a measure that is bringing the best of both worlds together with the support of our county commissioners which is huge and if anything and we've talked with a lot of our coalition partners about this it is a great uh you know this is a really exciting opportunity for our county and if anything we would want this to start in the county and definitely go statewide and further on. We do, you know, I absolutely appreciate that we should expand this and it shouldn't just stop here, but this was kind of a scale at which we could be um, looking into this and finding the funding mechanism. And we're really hoping that we can take it further. Got it. Got it. Thanks for that background. I think, I think that that makes a lot of sense given the context for how this got on the ballot for the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, I can explain a, a lot of it. Um, is there anything, any misconceptions that would be helpful to address around what this program does not do that people might not understand? Hmm. 
I mean, I guess I would really uh, encourage folks to look at both the upnow2020.org website as well as preschoolforall.org website. Um, the funding mechanism can seem tricky and a little uh, complicated at times. And, you know, there have been some uh, misconceptions with how that works. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that it's a tiered tax system. So, you know, for example, individuals making over $125,000 a year, they will be taxed on anything over that. Um, and so sometimes that is not fully understood and folks do start worrying um, about how much uh, will be taxed. Um, but it is a marginal uh, tier tax system. And that's really important to know. And as I mentioned, um, making sure that folks know that we are trying to make this universal. We are trying to provide as much of the needs out there as possible. And families still are, you know, in control and do make the decisions of how many hours, whether just the school year, the entire year, um, working with community-based organizations to make sure that it's culturally relevant, all those things as well. So I want people to be aware that we're putting these mechanisms in place, but it we're not trying to create a very rigid system where there is no uh, flexibility when it comes to family needs. Great, great. That's that's helpful to understand. So going back to the, the funding, um, I, I see on the website it says it's yeah, funded by the top 5% of, of income earners. I understood that it's a marginal tax. Is this program completely funded by that tax, or is there, other, is there other funding needed? That could be another objection, concerns about this actually getting funded adequately. Uh, no. So, uh, yes, we talked about this for quite some time, and um, we were also wanting to make sure that the funding mechanism and everything that we come up with is also decided um, with our current county commissioners. So, for example, it's not needed to have a later vote with a possible different group of individuals that may not agree that would be you know more um split up so yes we have made sure that it is fully funded as is with the way that we are proposing it and voting on it and no other um, measures or processes will be needed got it got it that's that's helpful to understand as well i, I think some people might have been burned by previous ballot measures yes <laughs> when the funding doesn't like actually come through and they're like, well, okay, was that even real? Um, this sounds real. This sounds like you have like the funding mechanism built in and, and people should know that. Yes, we are definitely wanting to make sure it's real. Uh, that was definitely a huge point for us that we don't want to be passing this on to a future time, not knowing what would happen to the funding. Got it. Got it. Are there any groups out there that you think might need extra convincing? Part of what we're trying to do in our organizing program is to, is to reach out to folks who, who need convincing, who might be uncertain about this. Uh, do you have any polling to, or any, any hunches to address um, yeah, who we should be talking to and how? So we, I'm going to touch a lot of wood, knocks on wood. Um, we thankfully do not have any, um, you know, very over opponents to this. And thankfully, you know, I, a universal preschool program is pretty uh, difficult to uh, not want to be for. Um, 
I do think uh, we need to make sure that folks are voting on this, whether they are uh, parents or not. As I mentioned, I don't have children myself, but I've been very passionate about this work. And when you really start to get to know of all the different ways it affects our own lives, workers' lives, the community's life, you really understand that um, it's still important regardless of what stage of life we're in. So really making sure the non-parents or non-guardians out there, if you will, are voting, are registered to vote and have checked that it's um, all good to go and make sure to vote for 26-214, as well as, you know, we sometimes may have folks from the for-profit or uh, private entities that may have some um, hesitations about such measures, but we have not seen anything um, pretty overt. So we're thankful about that. I think what really, really is important is to make sure that folks vote for it. We've not seen a lot of opposition. We just got to make sure we get those numbers and make it a reality. Is there a voter turnout threshold that we need to meet in order to get this to pass? So we would just have to get at least 50% of the vote. Um, I have those exact numbers somewhere of what would be what is the win number, if you will? But obviously, we'd want to get more than that, <laughs> given that it is a very popular measure. And, you know, um, before when we were trying to uh, get the signatures to get it on the ballot, as I mentioned, is during COVID, it's during a uh, major uh, um, civil rights movement. And folks were still very, very interested and engaged as soon as they found out about it. So I think it has a lot to do with just folks being aware that it's out there and that it's important and it's going to be on the measure. Um, Yeah. Got it. Got it. That's helpful context. So you told me a little bit about this, this bill's origin. Tell me a little bit about how you got involved with this. I understand that you are on the school board of the David Douglas school district. Uh, Can you tell me the, the journey that led you to supporting this legislation and working for it? Yeah, absolutely. I feel, I think it actually came from a few different places. Um, and so it was definitely the right <laughs> thing. So yes, I am on the David Douglas school board. And so really interested in education, especially in discrepancies in education. I myself, am a first generation immigrant and have moved a lot, had to learn new language, all that fun stuff. So I really, um, want to make sure in my district, especially, we have a lot of immigrant and refugee kids and youth of color, making sure that we're addressing those discrepancies. So that's been a huge passion of mine personally. And I've also been involved with um, Portland DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, the Portland chapter, and they were working on tax to rich campaigns. So evening the playing field, in Portland, given that we are seeing a lot of economic prosperity for some. And then I believe I I was working at the National Organization for Women, um, the Oregon chapter, and through all of these things, through now, through DSA, as well as through the school board, um, I got to know that universal preschool now is a measure that is being talked about and got involved I believe initially through now, actually, more than anything, as they were looking for um, folks, organizations that would really want to spearhead this. So 
as I mentioned, it addresses a lot of things. So even from a now perspective, it very much addresses reproductive justice because reproductive justice is also about families having the freedom and the safety to raise their families however way they see fit. And being able to provide education for families, I believe, is a human right. Um, But also, as I mentioned at the beginning, we also see a lot of times that this work falls on women and femmes. And given that they are not making living wages, given that there's um, a lot of gendered issues when it comes to careers, when it comes to education, all of these things, it just fell in my lap. It all made sense. We're trying to address as many things as we can, trying to address even the playing field for our kiddos just a little bit, starting as young as we can. And yeah, I'm excited. Well, I really appreciate your work on this measure. We're in this fight with you. And yeah, we're, we're just excited to to have such great things on the ballot like this. I know these are dark, intense times, but mm. it's, it's it's great that there's legislation on this that is really meaningful in our own community and that it makes our votes feel like we can do something really, really positive with them. So I, I'm really appreciative of that. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And yes, we really appreciate the support. Um, I want to make sure folks check their voter registration, <laughs> make sure everything is um, good to go. And also, yeah, just get to know about these local measures. There's a lot of terrible things happening. Absolutely. And on a local level, grassroots levels, there's also a lot of folks that are trying to address deep seated uh, inequities in little ways. And there's a lot of wonderful ways to get involved. Great. Well, for, for more information on Universal Preschool for All, go to upnowupnow2020.org. And yeah, thank you so much, Sahar, for being here. really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So on the subject of education, I've brought my friend Dustin on the podcast. Dustin's a public school teacher in the Portland area, and he's someone I've talked about politics with for a lot of my life, and is someone I've really bonded over music with. So I brought him on the show to talk about music, as well as education, and also to hear how he's doing with our organizing program. How's that going for you so far, Dustin? Oh, man. Um, Peter, first of all, thank you so much for having me on here. Um, You know, obviously we're friends, but I'm a genuinely a huge fan of the show, and I I think it's just objectively awesome what you're doing. Um, so, oh, you know, with, with, yeah, man, with regard to, um, you know, the, the organizing, um, it, it's something that, you know, let, like you said, we've talked about politics for many, many years. And I am somebody who has always been on the sidelines and just like, oh, I'm too busy to volunteer my time or I'm too busy to do this, too busy to do that. Um, but I, I just, you know, recently more than ever, truly feel a moral imperative to, to not be a bystander anymore. Um, and to, you know, just frankly, get off my ass. And it's scary, you know, that that first time reaching out to somebody is scary. But I was really surprised by how easy it was, because, you know, I, uh, I hope your listeners know, kind of the the strategy with the organization is, is not necessarily to cold call people you don't know or to try to change anybody's sure. minds, yeah. but, you know, rather to just reach out to people you do know and people in your sort of cohort groups. And um, like I said, that first time was scary. And then I was blown away by how easy it was. And I'm, I'm really excited to, 
to keep going with it. So great, great. I'm, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, was, was there anything that that surprised you aside from it being a little bit easier than, than you expected? Um, I I think, and again, I think this speaks to how easy it is, uh, or it was rather, um, but more specifically how natural it was to kind of reach out to a friend uh, for genuine reasons to sort of just check up, see how they're doing. And then the conversation just sort of naturally shifted to um, politics and not in a way where I was trying to, you know, sell my friend on anything or even convince it. It was just sort of a natural progression um, that I believe was fruitful. And uh, it is, it has got me excited to keep going. Yeah, it's it's not the hardest thing in the world to shift it to politics when the skies in Oregon are orange and we got 49 days until the election. I mean, it's it's on a lot of people's minds. And in some ways, I, I feel like people are, are happy to talk about it with someone they they have a relationship with and yeah, not just that, like read like, you know, doom scroll headlines. Exactly. That's that's exactly it. Um, you know, when I reached out, it, it wasn't pulling teeth. It wasn't a sort of you know, unnatural progression. It just, like you said, you know, the sky's on fire and, and people want to talk about these things. So, yeah. It's honored to have you as part of this program. You're the exact kind of person I, I wanted to, to represent these issues. And it's, it's a real honor to have you on, on board. Oh, same to you, man. I'm so excited. Well, when we get to this playlist that you put together around the theme of, of education and, and why it's, it's important and relevant in this moment, uh, first track, we got Bill Withers, track called Grandma's Hands. Talk to me about that one. I mean, I'm a huge Bill Withers fan, and this song in particular is just an absolute classic. I mean, we all know, you know, this is where the sample comes from, from Black Street's No sure. Dignity. But, you know, the song is about Bill Withers' grandma, who, you know, was not only a wise educator to him, but an incredibly caring and compassionate person. And I... Uh, the way I tie this to education is I don't think students can be um, truly successful unless we as educators care for them earnestly. Um, so for me, that care, compassion aspect, that is like the first part of my practice. Um, I, I, I know my stuff. I know my content. I know how to teach language arts. That's what I do. Um, but for me, all that stuff actually kind of comes second to the kind of the care, compassion part. And, you know, you you hear this throughout the whole song. Um, his grandma, his grandma does so much for him and did so much for the community. And you can hear it in every verse of the song. And you hear her wisdom, but you also hear, I think more loudly, you hear her care and compassion. And um, it was one of the first songs that came to mind. Because I, I think care you know, I think it's so important with regard to education. And I think that might be, people's minds might not jump to that immediately, especially when we think about, you know, um, our educational experience. But I, I don't think we as teachers can be successful without truly and earnestly caring for our students. If I get to heaven, I'll look for grandma's Okay, so next track, we've got Fort Knox 5 featuring Flex Matthews, a song called Reach. What? 
Yeah, um, Fort Knox 5 is a group that I sort of discovered literally like the day before I went to grad school to be a teacher. Um, I saw them at a music festival and um, I, I started getting into their music and, and looking at their lyrics and this one in particular, it, it just has a super, super, super positive message about success and, and about the role effort plays in success. Um, you know, all you got to do is just reach for it. You don't have to be good or or skillful at what you do. That will come later. Um, you just have to put that effort in and, and sort of the rest will come later. You got to challenge yourself. Don't worry about if you have the right answer or if you look cool. Um, I think that's where the real learning happens, when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable and uncomfortable and challenge ourselves and just sort of reach. So that's why I picked that Show we fresher than the rest. Plug your hands when you see us. Always bitching we the best. Now that's conceded. Knowing when you see it, I'm not a fan of it, but sometimes your ego need it. This be the blueprint for reaching for the stars. I did it for myself. Now I do it for y'all. I said rich. Next track we got: Lupe Fiasco, Kick and Push. Um, I love Lupe Fiasco, and I love this song. Um, to me, it's all about putting in the work and achieving and achieving success, um, even when it seems like the entire world doesn't value what you do. Um, you know, the song's about a kid and later an adult puts in the time, work, and energy to improve his skateboarding skills. But everywhere he goes, he's confronted with this message of like, sorry kid, no skating here. And, you know, instead of getting dejected um, or dismayed or dissuaded, he just sort of coasts through it all and he sticks to his convictions as sort of a rebel. And eventually it pays off. And I, I think that's, such a good message for students you know what do you do as a kid when what you're truly passionate about other people are not passionate about and and other people in fact think is a bad idea or a waste of your time um you, you got to stick to your convictions and your passions and just keep grinding and away road just a rebel to the world with no place to go and so we kick push kick push kick push kick push coast so come escape with me, just a rebel looking for a place to be. So let's kick and push and coast. Next track we got Teachers off of Daft Punk's legendary album Homework. Tell me about that one. That is a legendary album, for sure. Um, I, I've always been a huge Daft Punk fan. Um, you know, the album itself and the song, I don't even think are necessarily their best work, but I, I don't think their best work would exist without this album. And that's why I think it's really aptly named. Um, you know, the song itself is not, not necessarily a banger, and to the uninitiated, it, it might not even sound that good, but it, it's all about paying homage to their literal teachers and, and the, the pioneering um, people in music who, who inspired them. Um, like funk, hip hop, dance, pop music. Like I think Brian Wilson gets a name drop in there. George Clinton, Dr. Dre. Um, I, I just think for music nerds, it's it's a really awesome educational song. Next, next track, we got The Clash, Lost in the Supermarket. So this is the one I am absolutely the most excited to talk about. Um, and so in, in education a lot, we talk about what's referred to as these seminal learning moments. Um, and what I mean by that is that 
You know, when we think back to our own education, we, we probably don't remember the day-to-day -day of our classes. We, we don't really remember what our teachers said. Um, but we do remember these moments, these seminal learning moments where everything sort of clicks. And um, I was in college, undergrad at Portland State, and I, I had a professor, I, I've been spending hours trying to go through old documents, look up her name, but I, I cannot find it. Um, but she did this really cool thing where she plays, uh, she'll play a song or a music video um, while she's taking attendance before we get ready for the day. And that song will usually tie thematically to whatever it is we're reading or discussing. And we were reading um, a short story, John Updike's A&P. And, you know, it's all about a sort of teenage know-it-all who works in this grocery store. Um, he, he thinks he's got the world figured out, but as the story goes on, you know, we all figure out that that's not the case. And I, I think that's a pretty universal feature for most of us um, and I had always been a huge Clash fan um, so I was super familiar with that song before she played it but something magical happened in my brain where that day and that story and that song are just all like fused together and and I can just remember that day so clearly and that really showed me how transformative of an experience it can be when students can connect anything, like truly anything. It doesn't have to be quote unquote good, but if they can make connections between you know what they're reading, what they're studying, to something else that's relevant in their life, that can that has the potential to create those those seminal learning moments. I'm all lost in the supermarket. I can no longer shop happily. A special offer, talented personality. Next track, Pink Floyd, another brick in the wall, part two. I think this one's pretty on the nose. In fact, when you asked me to uh, put this together, that was the first thing that came to mind. There, I don't think there's anything too deep, but it's a message I ultimately agree with. You know, kids don't need to tell us, kids don't need us to tell them what to think. Um, I wouldn't even say they need us to tell them how to think. What they do need is they need more tools in their toolkits. They need skills and methods to do their own deep dives their own inquiry into whatever it is they're studying. And I, I really think, you know, that's what they were getting at with this song. Next track is I by Kendrick Lamar. So, you know, thematically, this song I don't think has too much to do with education, but the reason I picked it was um, I was a student teacher and my mentor teacher, shout out to Lisa Brownell, um, she played it for the class and she played it multiple times, um, the music video. And, I, you know, I don't know how familiar you are with the song or the video, but Kendrick kind of has this ethos in it, very self-affirming, it's almost bordering on selfish, um, but it's a positive song. And so the question is, is the question she posed to the class, and it was just one question, she gave it to him and the kids kind of ran with it. Um, 
is that ethos a good one or a bad one? And, and for whom? Because, you know, Kendrick is rapping about being let down by society and not being able to depend on society and his community, both, I think, as a black man and also as somebody who deals with depression and anxiety. Um, there's motifs of police brutality, depression, suicide, all, all throughout the song and video. And that created another seminal learning moment because it created a great discussion between these high school kids who come from vastly different backgrounds, racially, economically, um, whatever, in terms of their lived experiences and perspectives. And they were having these real meaningful conversations about this Kendrick Lamar song. So I will always remember that song. Next track is can't keep checking my phone by a known vocal orchestra. So I don't know if you've looked at the lyrics of the song. They're actually pretty bizarre. I mean, like literary analysis is like my thing. That's my wheelhouse. And even with that, I don't really want to touch this one with a ten-foot pole. Uh, most of the verses. But what I will say, the chorus resonates with me in a huge way. Um, our kids. Our students can't keep checking their phone. They are literally addicted to the dopamine that they get from it. And <laughs> and, and adults too. Um, I, I'm guilty of this too. And phones and technology, I've always found so paradoxical with regard to education, because on one hand, you have like the entirety of human knowledge and understanding and history in your pocket. But on the other hand, we know the science is clear how truly damaging these things are to our mental health and to our relationships. So what do we do with that? Like, and I don't have the answer, but that's why I picked that one. Fun side note, you were the first person I knew to have an iPhone. Next track, 2 plus 2 equals 5 by Radiohead. Yeah, um, I feel like most of the songs I picked for this were, you know, somewhat positive, somewhat optimistic. Um, this one is tragically pessimistic. Um, you know, it is clearly an allusion to the novel 1984 by George Orwell, and also an allusion to uh, George W. Bush's election, or his quote-unquote win in 2000. Um, and I think what I find most tragic about this song is looking at the lyrics, you know, it's 20 years ago. I, I don't know what has changed. And if anything, things have gotten worse. This, this song has me thinking about the idea of like a post-truth society, about disinformation and alternate facts. And, you know, I think Tom York is right. We weren't paying attention now, then, and I'm still not sure if many of us are paying attention now. Um, and as an educator who sort of champions and reinforces critical thinking, it's depressing to see how little of it is sort of in the public sphere. Um, and, you know, sometimes it kind of makes you want to give up, um, but we can't do that.
Last track, Marvin Gaye, Save the Children. So, you know, to kind of tie in to the last one, um, the 2 plus 2 equals 5, um, like I said, we, we can't do that. We can't give up. And that's what you hear in this Marvin Gaye song. Um, it starts off pretty dire and pessimistic. You know, this was written in 1970. The lyrics are sadly so incredibly relevant and fresh. Um, it starts off talking about such a dark, hopeless world, um, one that I Live think a lot of people feel the they're in right now. Um, but instead of continuing with that hopeless tone, there's a huge tonal shift in the song. It, you know, it reinforces the idea that even if the world seems dire or beyond saving, we've got to try. Um, we, we can't just relegate ourselves to leave younger generations uh, a worse world than we had. Um, we have we we've got a moral imperative to to at least try to save the children. Um, and I think my favorite thing about this song is that for Marvin Gaye, at least the impression I get is that it, it's not even a question. It, it's 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 a moral imperative again. No matter how dark the world is, we have got to try to save the children and maybe even our sweet world too. But who really cares? Who's willing to try? Yeah, to save a world. Yeah, save our sweet world. Save a world that is destined. Kind of brings it full circle with this universal preschool for all measure of like regardless of whether you intend to have children like just think of our moral imperative of leaving this place a better place than we found it uh i know it's it's a, a tall order in some ways but i think that's that's the thing i think we should take away from that from the song and and from this program a- a- absolutely peter i i couldn't agree more i i keep using this word this term and you've used it it, it it's a moral imperative. It's something we have to do. We, we, it's not even a question or a debate for me. We have to do it. And I think we have to get more people on board. Well, I'm stoked to have you on board as part of this organizing program. Thank you so much for coming on the show and getting this thoughtful playlist to us. Oh, Peter, my pleasure. Anytime, man. And thank you for listening to Rhythm Nation. For playlists of Dustin's music, visit my website at petermarks.us. If you'd enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you left a review. It helps other people find this podcast and leads to more great guests appear on this program. Thanks. I'll see you next time.